Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Today I want to share a message called Entitlement and the Deficit of Gratitude. Entitlement and the Deficit of Gratitude. Entitlement is where we feel like something is owed to us or we deserve some privilege. And I know that in 2021, there's a lot of talk about entitlement, particularly among the young people. How many of you ever have ever heard yourself saying, oh, those young kids, they're just so entitled? Anybody ever said that before? How many of you have ever thought, I'm entitled? Just be honest. No one? Okay, that's all right. You can share this message with somebody else then. Sometimes when you hear a sermon, it's not necessarily for you, it's so you can share it with somebody else. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You went home and you shared a message with somebody. All right. Yeah, to be entitled is the idea that something is owed to me. And it's interesting, as we look at entitlement, we look at what's happened, and just think about what happened in 2019 and 2020 as we were leading up to the China virus. We have uh, people uh, that feel like they're owed something. Uh, as a matter of fact, not to get too into it, but there are certain people groups that rose up and felt like they, were, they had been robbed of something, they deserved something. And other people groups were put to shame for having those things. And so a lot of times... We get the idea of privilege, we get the idea of rights, we get the idea of entitlement. And so what I'd like to do is try to paint a biblical construct of what entitlement really is and how we need to be careful of it. Even as believers in Yeshua, it's easy to fall into the temptation or the snare of entitlement. Primarily... To believe you are owed something is uh, a prideful thing. And what we understand in American culture and also in biblical culture is this concept of earning. How many of you earn on a daily basis? Yeah? You go out and you earn. If you have a job, you're going there to work. You want to earn something. You may be earning money or you might be earning You know, maybe you don't work for money. Maybe you work for fruit or something. I don't know. So there's this idea that we need to be able to earn certain things. And certainly in American culture, that opportunity presents itself every day. It's one of the reasons that people who do work and do earn get so frustrated by those who don't want to earn and yet still want things. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like your kids, right? Well, they don't want to do housework, but they want to eat. And so you're sort of thinking to yourself, well, it would be nice if you would contribute to the family unit. It would be nice if you would participate in the work that's being done here. For example, the clothes that you're wearing, those clothes had to be purchased. We didn't purchase those with smiles and and waves. We purchased those with money. 
And we got that money from going to a job or working. We earned money so that we could buy your clothes. And you feel like it's acceptable to wear those $100 brand new tennis shoes mowing. Or, you know, just walking through the muddy creek. And so what, what we have to try to encourage young people is the idea of the value of things. And it is difficult. And so uh, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So we encourage our young people to work so that they can have a right to sit at the table. They can feel entitled to sitting at the table. One time, and this is uh, just an idea of the value of things, we had a young person in our house. He was probably related to us. And uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't think um, it would be too big of a problem to take his uh, really nice plate of food that we had prepared for him and uh, spill uh, chocolate milk mix all over it and ruin his entire plate of food. Well, it was just all fun and games to that person. But to Amanda and I, we were sort of disturbed by the idea that this plate is now ruined and this food that has a lot of value to us is just going to be discarded. Well, we decided that to teach the lesson of value, we were going to encourage this young person, probably one of my kids, to uh, eat the food even though they had spoiled it with chocolate milk mix. I mean, how, how bad could it really be, right? I mean, chocolate milk mix is pretty good. A little Nestle on your uh, mashed potatoes, nothing's wrong with that at all. Yeah, sounds delicious, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Well, he didn't like the idea of eating his now spoiled food with uh, Nestle. And I said, well, here's the thing. The food costs money. You ruined it by being a goofball. So the options are you can eat what you have. You can go hungry and not eat what you have. Or you can pay me $5 and I'll get you another plate. And he paid up. And I received that with gratitude. I felt entitled to it. Why? Because I had purchased the food. We had made the food. It was our property. And he was being ungrateful. So we want to talk today then about this really tricky scenario of entitlement. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. There are many examples in Scripture of entitlement, but there's probably more examples of those who should have or could have felt entitled, but chose not to take what they could have easily received. If there's, if there's one thing I'd like to paint in our minds today, it's the idea of receiving the blessing from Yahweh and not taking the blessing from Yahweh. <clears throat> and that's difficult for us to understand. Uh, and maybe you don't think there is a difference, but I'm, I want to share with you that I feel like there's a difference between receiving the blessing and then taking the blessing. Now in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, we have a <clears throat> familiar story here about a man named Naaman or Naaman is how you would say his name in Hebrew. We're, we just say Naaman. But anyway, what happened is, is he had 
a terrible uh, case of leprosy. And he came to this prophet, Eliyahu, or Elijah, to be healed of this ailment. A lot of people, when they were struck with disease or they had some sort of problem, they would go to the prophets of Yahweh to seek out wisdom, maybe an answer, or healing. And these people would be found in the city, sitting around. They would have people there with them that worked with them. Prophets were a a pretty big deal. It was like if you had an ailment, you went to the prophet, not the doctor. Does that make sense? So these were well sought after people. And many times when you went to the prophet to get something, it was proper to take a gift with you. I'm going to ask for this healing, so I'm going to bring some money. Seems reasonable. You don't go to the doctor without bringing money. How many of you have went to the doctor with no money and found out that that was a mistake, that there was no seeing the doctor unless you had money? Some of us get through with the appointment, and we're trying to slip by that desk there at the end, you know, where the lady is sitting there looking at you, and we're like, oh, do I need to pay or something? She's like, yeah, yeah, money is owed. (laughs) This service doesn't come free. I thought uh, that you guys were just really nice in here. No. So a lot of times people would bring gifts. And that's the case it was with Naaman. He brought a gift to Elisha because he wanted to get this healing. Let's jump in here. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 14. So as the story goes, Naaman went down into the river and he dipped himself seven times. That was the cure for his disease. And that was according to the word of Yahweh, the word of the man of Yahweh, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Verse 15, when he returned to the man of Elohim with all his company, he came and stood before him and he said, behold now, I know that there is no Elohim in all the earth, but in Israel. So please, take a present from your servant now. So that's a generous offer. If you were working in the ministry, for example, and you had the gift of healing, or you had the gift of divine prophecy, and somebody came and and, and sought out the wisdom of Yahweh, and you shared it with them, then it would be reasonable for them to offer you a gift. But this is what... Eliyahu says, he says in verse 16, as Yahweh lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but Eliyahu refused. And so Naaman said, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no more offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to Yahweh. In this matter, May Yahweh pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, Yahweh pardon your servant in this matter. So basically, Naaman wanted to take some of the dirt that was there, and then he was asking for this pardon. Hey, as soon as I leave here, I just want you to know that I know that Yahweh is the only mighty one, but... When I leave here, I'm going to have to go into the temple of this God, and when I do that, I'm going to, you know, sort of worship him, but just know that I know 
Yahweh is the only Elohim. And then Elijah says to him in verse 19, go in peace. And so he departed from him some distance. Now, in this particular case, um, Eliah does not take the gift, but it would not have been uh, unusual for him to receive a gift. Other prophets have received gifts. But he didn't want to receive the gift because he wanted the glory of Yahweh to be known, and more specifically, he didn't want anybody to be able to say, I have made the prophet rich, or I paid for this gift of healing. But in verse 20, something happens. As Naaman's leaving, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of Elohim, uh, thought, behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As Yahweh lives, I will run after him and take something from him. And by the way, I'm just realizing now that I've been saying Eliyahu, but it's actually Elisha, Eliyahu's protege, the prophet. So here's this man who works with Elisha. He's the, he's the servant of the prophet. And he feels, what's the word? He feels entitled. Hey, we work our rear ends off around here, healing people, declaring the word of Yahweh, doing Yahweh's work. If a gift is offered, surely we should receive it. So he runs after Naaman. And uh, he declares it in Yahweh's name. Like Perhaps Yahweh is blessing this endeavor. As Yahweh lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursues Naaman, verse 21. When Naaman saw him running, he came down from his chariot and said, Is all well? And he said in verse 22, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Now, we don't know for sure if this part of the story is a true testimony that these men actually did come down or if this was a fabricated lie from Gehazi. We don't know. But what we do know is he feels like he deserves something. He's owed something. And so he's going to take it. And this is the difference I would like to share between the idea of receiving the blessing from Yahweh and taking the blessing of Yahweh. And by the way, it is a very thin line between the two. A very thin line between the two. But what you see here is a scheme or a plan that's being developed. As soon as Elisha refuses the gift, Gehazi is his mind goes to work. He starts scheming a plan. He's thinking about the money. He's thinking about what he wants. He's thinking about what he's entitled to, and he develops a plan, and that plan is to take something. And so, of course, he, uh, Naaman gives him that, and then he goes back, and he's now talking to Elisha. And Elisha said, where have you been? And Gehazi lies. And he says, I've been nowhere. And now we know what happens. He said, my heart went with you, 
and you receive the money, and therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall surely cling to you and to your descendants forever. And so he went out from the presence as a leper. So he was cursed. It's interesting to me that this curse fell to him, but that was the will of Yahweh. I'd like to contrast another story, if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. So here we had the story of entitlement from Gehazi, and now I'd like to share a story of entitlement where actually, again, something can be taken because of the blessing of Yahweh. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, we know a little backstory here that David is on the run from King Saul. David has already been anointed by the prophet Samuel. Focus on that. He's already been anointed by the prophet of Samuel to be the king of Israel. Now, the anointing is what carries the power and the authority. The anointing is, is the mode through which or by which the Holy Spirit comes into um, this particular thing, in this case, to be a king, and empowers or enables this person. It's the authority of Yahweh to perform a task. That's what anointing is. And so here, David is on the run, but he's already been anointed. And David's smart. And we have this story here in verse 1 and chapter 24 of Samuel. It came about when Saul returned from the, pursuing the Philistines that he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. He went to use the bathroom, by the way. That's what that means. So Saul is pursuing David. He's in this wilderness area, and he's got to use the bathroom. He sees a cave, and he's like, I'll go hang out in there for a minute. You guys just stay here. So he goes into the cave, and um, the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which Yahweh said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do with him as it seems good to you. And then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Now we can only assume that the cave was really dark, and that's why it was difficult to see David. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Here is a contradiction between the receiving of the blessing of Yahweh and the taking. By all rights, David was entitled to the throne of Israel because Yahweh had already anointed him, but he did not feel right about taking the throne from Saul. In this moment, even the men who were with him were like, Yahweh is clearly giving us a sign. This is our chance. Let's kill Saul. You'll be declared king, and everybody can go home now because these boys haven't been home in a long time. So David cuts off the corner of his robe, and then his conscience bothers him. He feels bad. 
The Holy Spirit is convicting him. So he said to his men, far be it from me, verse 6, because of Yahweh, that I should do this thing to my master, Yahweh's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is Yahweh's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. So Saul doesn't even know that his life has been spared. David and his men are hanging out, having this whole conversation in the same cave. He doesn't even know it. I don't know if you've ever been in a cave, but it's pretty echoey. It's kind of like this room. And so it's interesting that this whole conversation has happened. But anyway, what's going to happen now is David's going to confront Saul. And he does that in verse 8. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My sovereign, or my lord, my king... And when Saul looked and behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. A sign of sheer humility. Laying on the ground, face down, prostrating yourself. It's a position that would allow any person to hurt you if, you, if they wanted to. So he's humbling himself before Saul. And then he says in verse 10, Behold this day your eyes have seen that Yahweh had given me into, rather you today, into the hand, my hand, in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my master, for he is the sovereign's, or he is rather Yahweh's anointed. Now my father, see indeed the edge of your robe. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and I did not kill you, know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. Now this is a little personal between David and Saul because Saul was jealous of David and so he kept thinking David wants to kill me to take the kingdom, not realizing that Yahweh had already taken the kingdom from him and given it to David. This was the sovereign will of Yahweh and so Saul is trying to kill David to get rid of him so that he can remain king and here David is sparing the life of Saul and he's saying, I want to just... Can you just see for a minute that I'm not against you? I'm not your enemy. We're here together. So on. The rest of the story continues here. And Saul says that David is more righteous than he is because he has spared his life and carries on. Now we know that this happened again. And the point of this story is that David here was certainly entitled. He had the anointing. But he did not want to go outside of Yahweh's will in order to achieve his goals. Does that make sense? He wanted to be inside Yahweh's will. He didn't feel it was right to take something, even though he was owed it. These are two cases, one of humility on David and one of pride these two stories that I've shared with you. And as a nation, I feel like we have certainly forgotten Yahweh. The problem with the entitlement generation or the entitlement is that everybody is all about taking, taking, taking because they feel like they deserve it. We feel like we're owed it. And what happens is that we end up forgetting about Yahweh altogether. And that is what David didn't want to do. I'm certain 
that in this case, the Bible could have been rewritten and we would have read the words, so David slew Saul in the cave and his men slaughtered the 3,000 men that were with Saul and David rode off to Jerusalem where he would meet Samuel and be declared the king. That's reasonable to, have, to think that we could read that. But that's not the way Yahweh had intended. And so when it comes to that which is entitled to us, we need to wonder and ask ourselves, where is Yahweh in all of this? I want to talk about some snares of entitlement. Sometimes we feel entitled to something because we own it. And I want to talk about the idea of ownership later. But also we feel entitled because of who we are. We feel entitled because of who we are. We feel like because maybe you've got a name about you, or maybe you've got money, or maybe you've got a, a high level at your job, or maybe you've got some prestige, maybe you are a, uh, a senator or somebody like that. We, we feel entitled to certain things like honor, respect. And what I would like to challenge today is that although everybody has significance in some area of their life, that we need to be humble and not feel entitled to everything. It's that famous line from many movies where somebody is being talked to disrespectfully and the person looks at them and says, do you know who I am? Because if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be talking to me that way. If you knew who I was, you'd know that I deserve better than what you're giving me. I'm entitled to respect. I'm entitled to honor. Do you know who I am? And I guess what I'm trying to share is that I feel like the only person, the only thing that can make that claim is Yahweh. Because in Yahweh, every person, compared to Yahweh, rather, every person is nothing. Let's talk about what we are entitled to. What are you entitled to? You're entitled to hard work. If you want to work, that's a reasonable and biblical thing. You should work. And when you go to work, you should do the best you can. You're entitled to that. You're entitled to perform. You're entitled to, to make a difference. You're entitled to, to get in there and, and work hard. You're entitled to giving your best. You have that right. No one can take away your right to a great attitude. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not entitled to respect, but I'm entitled to have a great attitude. I can have a great attitude. You can't take it from me. I'm entitled. I have rights. I have the right to love. I have the right to show mercy, to be faithful. I have the right to love. I have the right to joy. Paul is in prison. Some people are in prison. What are they doing? They're singing. 
They're giving thanks. I have the right to joy. You can't take my joy from me. You can take my property. You can take my house. You can take my car. You can take all of that, but you can't take my joy. You have the right to gratitude. Now let's briefly talk about property. Because owning property and and having the rights to your property is biblical. As a matter of fact, when you get property, whether it's a car or maybe it's a house, the thing that you get with it is what? It's called a title. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A title. Your car has a title. Maybe your house has, your property has a title deed. And this is the thing that declares to the world that you own this. Speaking of monopoly, that's why you get property deeds a monopoly. You get a title deed. You get ownership. I paid for this. This is mine. And the idea of owning property and earning property is very biblical. We can see that. But we need to be careful, even in the idea that we're entitled to our own property. Because... If we start focusing on what we've earned, then we might forget the blessing of Yahweh. And that is, is that everything we have is from him. Let's go to the book of Job. No one can tell us this story better than Job. And the reason is, is because Job was wealthy. Very, very wealthy. And by the language of the Bible, we can understand that Job was probably wealthy because he was such a good good guy. He was a great person. No one could bring a charge against Job. He was blameless. And the Bible goes through and it defines all the wealth of Job and how how many possessions he had. In verse 3 of chapter 1, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And to us, that's weird. But it just means that he was really rich. And then this interesting conversation happens between Yahweh and Satan. And we're not going to get into that. But basically what was going to happen is Satan was given permission to take everything Job had away from him. Including his children. And so this happens to Job. And uh, in verse 20, Job has got some real bad news. Job, all your property is gone. All your kids are dead. The only thing you have left is you and your wife. That's difficult news to take. Here's a man who had earned a lot, very wealthy, had many children, and they were all taken from him by the sovereign hand of Yahweh. And so Job says, uh, rather in verse 20, it says that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground. And what did he do? He worshiped. He worshiped. Now Job might have been able to think to himself, I don't deserve what happened to me. And as in fact, I think that's probably what he thought. I didn't deserve to have all my stuff taken. I didn't deserve to be in this situation where my wife is crying because all of her children are are dead. I don't deserve that. 
But at the end of the day, Job decided that he was entitled to nothing. And he worshiped. Look what he says in verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yahweh has given, rather Yahweh gave and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame Elohim. You see, the opposite of entitlement, the idea that I'm owed something, the idea that I need to be uh, blessed by something, the idea that I have rights, the opposite of that is worship. The idea that nothing I have belongs to me, but all things come from Yahweh. The idea that in all things I will give thanks to Yahweh for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Hallelujah. That's going to bring me to my final point, which is the cure of entitlement. And the cure for entitlement is gratitude. We sang that song today, Grateful. I love that song. But I was just thinking about some of the words. This is the day that you have made. None of us are entitled to even waking up in the morning. There's no guarantee to life. This is the day that you've made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. Boy, wouldn't that be handy. For all my hope is in your name, and now your joy awaits my praise. In all things, the cure for entitlement, the feeling that we are owed something, is gratitude. It's gratitude. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Speaking of ownership. This is really going to spin us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Let's start in verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but immoral the immoral man sins against his own body. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from Yahweh? Do you not know that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify Yahweh in your body. You might even think that you've got rights to your own body. Well, if nothing else, this is mine. But if you've been baptized to the name of Yeshua and you've been grafted in to the olive tree of Israel, if you've received the remission of sins and you've, you've laid claim to the promises that Yeshua's made, even this thing is not yours. You own nothing. It was bought Somebody purchased you with blood. So even the idea that I'm entitled to do whatever I want to with my body, it's not even a reasonable right for those in Yeshua. It's kind of crazy to think about. Now, I'm not trying to say you can't you know, do what you want with your hair and your makeup. You, you can do that. 
but I'm talking about a spiritual thing here. I'm talking about the idea that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, and it's not even that the Holy Spirit is not something that we earned. It's not something that we did anything for. It was a gift. It's what he says here. Whom you have from Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is from Yahweh. It's dwelling in you. You are a place of storage, an empty storage unit for the Holy Spirit to do work in you. That's pretty crazy, huh? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and 18. First Peter chapter one, we'll start in 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I love that. Conduct yourselves in fear. Reverence, respect, awe. Don't come, don't come out all arrogant and cocky. Don't come out all full of pride. Yahweh, what are you gonna give me today? That's not the approach to the Almighty. And then he says, during your time, of, during your stay, enjoy your stay. That's just a thought to how fleeting life is and how momentary our time here on earth really is. And as humans, as Americans, as people, we just feel this this gross sense of oldness. I'm a human. I deserve. But that's not biblical. Particularly when you're addressing the Almighty. Knowing, verse 18, that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. No, you were with precious blood, 19, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah. This is how you have been purchased. And sometimes as believers, it's easy to get caught up in the daily. It's easy to get caught up in the earning. It's easy to get caught up in the property, in the, in the gathering, the entitlement. And we forget that this whole thing isn't even about us, but it's about Yahweh and his redemptive work through his son, Yeshua, who gave his life for a ransom for many. Amen. Everything we have is from Yahweh. Just a brief moment here. If you're smart enough to create the idea, you're smart because Yahweh gave you intelligence. If you're strong enough to lift things and that's gained you prosperity, you're strong because Yahweh gave you strength. If you're wise, if you have talent, all of it comes from Yahweh. Even the idea of being able to read and write was taught to you. 
So if you have the ability to read and go to college and earn a degree and become a doctor and, and save lives, all of that is a gift. Nothing is of ourselves. In all things, we give thanks to Yahweh. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 17. Briefly, I'll read it. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. It's easy to get caught up in the deception of I've done it. It's easy to get caught up in the deception of look at me. It's so easy to get caught up in the idea of I've earned every good thing, verse 17, given and every perfect gift is from above. This is why Job was unshaken when all was taken from him because he knew who Yahweh was. He knew who gave him all things and he knew where he was headed. That's a difficult thing to come to. And that's our journey, that's our purpose is to be in a place of spiritual maturity like that. To know that things in this life are fleeting. They're a moment. They are temporal. Yahweh is eternal. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Most importantly, I want to close with the idea of gratitude being the cure. Gratitude being the cure, and that is the gratitude of Calvary. Not just knowing that Yeshua died, but specifically knowing that he died for you. You see, the greatest part of Calvary, not maybe not the greatest, but one of the great things about Calvary is it's, it wasn't one for one. It's not like Yeshua died for one person. He died for as many as would believe. We have to remain eternally grateful. And here's the thing. When you've accepted the promise of Yeshua, when you've accepted that Yeshua died for you, when you accept his blood and you become a member of his household, when you join his clan, the tribe of Judah, when you attach yourself to the kingdom of Yahweh, there's no other posture that humanity can accept except gratitude. The only outcry of our heart in every moment must be gratitude first because he died for me. Why can I hold any guilt against another? Why can I hold any anger? I have been forgiven. I have been redeemed. How can I come to you with arrogance and ego? How can I come with you with pride when I myself am unworthy to even tie his sandals? The, the idea of Calvary where Yeshua bled and died for each one of us is that no matter where you are in life, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're strong or you're weak, whether you're smart or you're dumb, whether you're handsome or whether you're ugly, none of that matters when you come to Calvary. Every single person is the exact same at the feet of Yeshua, and that is unworthy. Amen?
unworthy. There's nothing you can do to impress Yahweh. There's nothing you can do to earn his his gratitude and his, his appreciation for you. None of that matters because only the blood of Yeshua is able to cleanse and make you whole. And so above all, as brothers and sisters in Yeshua, we must come constantly with the idea of gratitude. And this is, of course, easier said than done. I'm telling you, it's a difficult road to follow Yeshua. But gratitude is everything. Let's go to Ephesians. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. We're going to go to the final scripture here in Revelation chapter 3. We've talked about entitlement. We've talked about the snares of entitlement. We've talked about things that we can be entitled to. And now we are closing with the idea that the cure for this entitlement mentality is gratitude, being thankful. And our country, being thankful for those who bled and died for this country, not forgetting the sacrifices that have been made on our behalf. Generations past gave up their rights to life so that we might live fulfilled. So we can see this idea of gratitude transcends every single topic. I'm thankful to my wife for staying with me for this many years. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Thanks for hanging out with me. I've given you more than enough reasons to leave. Gratitude. Yahweh, thank you for my children, even though they can be obnoxious and annoying. Gratitude, it transcends all areas of our life. And of course, I wasn't saying that on a personal level. My children aren't obnoxious or annoying on any level. They are perfect. Let's go to Revelation chapter three. I wanna close with this. The snare of entitlement. Here in verse 14, the angel of the assembly of Laodicea writes this. The amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of Elohim says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Pick one, if you please. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, and here it goes, are you ready? The American mindset, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. The trap of entitlement is that because I earn, I don't need. And yet, you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, blind and naked. This is the situation, this is the condition of every human heart. We think we're rich, we think we're wealthy, we think we've done, and yet internally, what we need to realize is that Yeshua is not worried about all those things. He's worried about the condition of our heart, which is this, miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. And then he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you will become rich and white garments so that you will clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. There's nothing wrong with gaining. Nothing wrong with earning. 
but we can never forget and must be continually grateful for the sacrifice of Yeshua and the love of the Father. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And bring the full story, rather bring in the story, full story. Here is Job, who is chastened by the Father. Holy, righteous, and blameless, and yet he is thrust into a world of bitterness and pain and suffering Sadness. Why? Because those whom Yahweh loves, he reproves. If you're going through a difficult time, know that the Father is working in that situation. Some preacher said it this way, if the devil isn't coming after you, that's a really bad sign. And finally, be zealous and repent. And what was Job's final answer, by the way, to Yahweh? I have nothing to say to you, except I have no idea why I ever opened my mouth in your presence, and I'm really sorry about it. I repent. And Job's story ends in victory, not necessarily in the physical, although he got his stuff back, but in the spiritual, because he gained the understanding that Yahweh was bringing to him. And that is, I am almighty, you are small human, please be humble in my presence. And it's so difficult for us to do that because we want to feel like Yahweh owes us something. But he owes us nothing. Our very breath is a gift. Behold, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him Come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Here's the open invitation, by the way. If you have not taken on the blood of Yeshua as your righteousness, if you're still trying to earn your way in, if you're still trying to achieve in the great eyes of Yahweh your righteousness, I encourage you to forget about it and put on the clothes of righteousness, which is the blood of Yeshua. He says, if anybody hears my knock in my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. What Yeshua wants is fellowship with you. He wants to be in your corner. He who overcomes, I will grant him, grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. If you have not received the gift of forgiveness and repentance through the waters of baptism, I ask that you would consider that the only way to be eternally grateful is to know what it means to be forgiven. He who owes much and is forgiven much understands more than anyone the value of that forgiveness. Let's pray.